Welcome to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 18. I'm Tom Barthel, currently serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran Church in Baxter, Minnesota. I'm glad to be serving as your host for this episode. We'll begin with God's Word for You by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 5, verses 1 through 7. Remember that in chapter 4 we began a response to Job from his friend Eliphaz the Temanite, and his words continue through the end of this chapter. This is the only time in the book that any of the three friends speaks for more than one chapter. Verse 1. Call if you will, but who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Eliphaz has puffed up his own spiritual importance by mentioning the uncanny nighttime visit of the spirit that questioned man's righteousness in chapter 4. Now he continues somewhat on the same lines by bringing Job into the Lord's courtroom. Call, he says, but who will answer? He asks, to which of the holy ones will you turn? We don't need to ask whether Eliphaz thought there was more than one holy God. There's no evidence of polytheism anywhere in Job at all. Eliphaz is probably referring to the kind of holy one or spirit that he he thought of in the previous chapter. He's thinking of the angels. But here it's not so much who he's thinking of that concerns us, but why. He's telling Job that he needs someone to whom he can turn. Will it be one of the holy angels? Or will it be someone else? This is the first time the theme of a mediator or redeemer has come up in Job. Will someone intercede for Job? Job's friends introduce the idea and dismiss it right away, but Job doesn't forget it. A fourth friend who is silent now, Elihu, will also bring up the idea of a mediator in heaven. Elihu's idea is like that of Eliphaz, that it would be an angel standing at Job's side. But Job knows that he needs more. He needs someone to be his advocate before God, someone who pleads with God as a man pleads for his friend. But he'll come to the conclusion at the climax of the book, chapter 19, that only God himself can be this redeemer. And Job realizes that his whole eternal hope rests on that solid bedrock statement, I know that my redeemer lives. That's Job 19, verse 25. Verse 2. Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. Except for a translation question in chapter 12 and a comparison Job made in chapter 2, this is the only time that the theme of fool is taken up in Job. Eliphaz represents, or rather presents, the full spectrum of who can be considered a fool from the evil, or from the, from the wicked, rather, uh, the word in Hebrew is ewil, fool, to the naive uh, patach, or simple. Let's go on with Verses uh, 3 to 5. I have seen fools taking root, but suddenly I cursed their dwelling. Their children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate with no one to deliver them. The hungry eat their harvest, and they take it even out of the thorns, and the thirsty pant after their wealth. By the way, I was reading there from the New Revised Standard Version. Since the NIV softens the impact of verse 3, With a passive, I use the RSV. Eliphaz says that he himself cursed the dwelling of the fool suddenly, and the results once again call to mind what happened to Job's children, crushed with no one to deliver them. Although Eliphaz uses the language of a courtroom, the gate was where legal matters were decided, his words can't help but recall Job's personal tragedy and pain. This is a thinly veiled accusation that Job's personal and moral foolishness brought about the death of his children. In the book of Proverbs, the theme of the fool paints a picture of someone who rejects the word of God for any reason at all. The fool 
is the equivalent of the wicked. The fool is like a pagan or a Gentile. But the difference is that the fool is without excuse because he has heard the word of God. He knows the law. He even knows the gospel of forgiveness, but he rejects it anyway. His foolishness will bring about his eternal ruin. Perhaps in our culture, there is no more telling or biting description of the fool than Proverbs 18. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. Verses 6 and 7. For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. I think verse 7 is one of the most memorable passages from the book. Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Eliphaz argues that trouble doesn't come without cause, that a man harvests what he sows. Hardship doesn't just sprout from the ground. In this, his opinion, which he knows others will consider to be wise, Trouble doesn't just happen. It has a root cause. Therefore, what Job is going through must have a cause in Job's sinful past. Of course, we already know that this isn't the case. One of the book's points is that Job's suffering was brought on by the will of Satan and not by any particular sin in Job's past. God permitted this as a test for Job and to permit Job to glorify God in his suffering. Because even when the devil tampers in our lives, he isn't in control. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables each one of us to say no to the devil's temptations. We stumble at it, we need practice, and we have a lifetime to practice, but with God's help, we can turn away from temptation and sin. We'll never be sinless. And here the words of Eliphaz ring true. Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. But we give glory to God with our efforts. We ask his forgiveness for our failures. And we praise him for giving us the Redeemer who has made us right with God forever despite our sins. And because of our sins, our Redeemer came to the world. Our Redeemer is God himself. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. The following hymn, titled, Crown Him with Many Crowns, is performed by Koine. Thank you. 
Moment with the Master is shared by Pastor Aaron Nitz. The portion of God's Word that we're going to spend a, a moment with today is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 15 and 16. This happened on Easter Sunday morning when, when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. We read, Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary had gone out to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning, feeling lost, confused, and in the dark. Her Lord had been laid in a tomb, dead, and now his body was gone. Well, we know what it's like to be in the dark too, don't we? Things happen in our lives, leaving us confused. Loved ones disappoint, leaving us lost. And the future can so often seem only black and dark. But what did Jesus do here? He appeared to Mary, alive. Jesus hadn't lost He won the victory. He defeated sin, death, hell, and Satan. Mary saw her risen Lord. Mary saw her light of life. And you know what? You have too. You are in the light of Christ's resurrection. Just think, will there ever be a day when Jesus is less risen from the dead for you? No. Will there ever be a day when death is less already defeated for you? Not at all. Will there ever be a day when heaven hasn't already been won for you? No way. Christ's victory is your victory every day, no matter what. So live. Live in the light of Christ's resurrection today, tomorrow, next week, and always. I'm rejoicing to have a risen Savior, and so are you. Amen. Where there's wealth, there's war. We read from Genesis 14, 1-12. At this time, Amarphel, king of Shinar, Ariak, king of Alasar, Kedolamar, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemaber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is, Zoar. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, the sea salt, the salt sea. For twelve years they had been subject to Kadolamar, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kadolamar and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Raphites in Ashtorah, Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Amites in Shavah, Kirathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is, Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites, who were living in Hazan, Hazazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Armah, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is, Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim, against Kadolamar, king of Alam, Tadal, king of Goim, 
Amarphel king of Shinar, and Ariak king of Elasar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. What we've just read is an account of some affairs in the political events of the ancient Fertile Crescent, the land of Canaan. This is real history. In fact, the names and places had been forgotten in time, so when Moses records this for the Israelites, about 1,400 years before the time of Christ, he has to identify some of the locations. He updates the names to current usage in his day with things like that is Zoar. Translations will often mark these as a positives and set them in parentheses for us. The Valley of Sidim seems to be what is located along the southern region of the Dead Sea. There are still deposits of natural asphalt there. The tar pits evidently were quite numerous as the fleeing soldiers fell into them. Once again, real history. Kings from this time have the names Kedor in them, meaning servant of Kedor, a god. Kedor Lamar is evidently the head king here. He and his three allies subjected the five other kings to his rule. For a dozen years the others lived in defeat and paid homage to him as ruler, but rebellion occurred. When Kador Lomar then responds to the rebellion, an extensive military campaign follows, in which he shows his strength and subdues the lands around him once more. He was met by a resistance of rebel forces in the Valley of Sidim. The resistance was squashed, and the rebellion cities plundered in the process. The men of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their allies couldn't stand up to the four kings. In summary, we have a battle between four ancient Mesopotamian armies and five cities of the Jordan River region. Why is this skirmish between warring kings included here for us? Recall that Abram's nephew, Lot, had chosen to live in the plains by Sodom. He had also found himself quite comfortable and ended up living in a house in the city of Sodom itself. For the moment, things were pretty bleak for Lot. He sought the richer lands, but he found that with wealth comes war. That is the way it is with the sinful human heart. Without the true God and his word, we are left to attack our brother or be attacked by those who would seek to overwhelm us and lord it over us. Lot found that there is no Eden anymore just the struggles of a world without God. But that isn't all that he would find in the end. Alliances with powerful friends and other nations and other kings are not our strength. Lot is about to find that out. This is the land which was promised to Abram. God would soon show him how he need not fear the kings of this world. We'll continue with that part of the account next time. Until then, rest secure, not in wealth or powers of this world, Rest secure knowing that Jesus lives, and the King of kings rules over all, and no enemy, not even the devil, the prince of this world, can snatch you from your Savior's hand, or rob the riches of his kingdom from your possession. We'll finish today with a song called Let Christ Be Known by Chris Dreisbach.
it comes to God. I got a ticket to hell building. I got a rotten family tree and a nature black with sin. Yeah, nobody knows the way. It's a story that's gotta be told. Truth to be heard, a lot to explain. Sin to be shown, grace that remains. Let Christ be known here in my heart and out in the world. Let His love be shown. Give me a part in spreading the word. Let Christ be known. Let Him be known. Now nobody chooses Him. It's the Lord who hunts us down. It's the Father who pulls us in, and by a gift we come around. Yeah, nobody plays a part. Forget about saving yourself, 'cause it's nothing you say and nothing you do, nothing at all but God's mercy on you. Give me a part in spreading the word. Let Christ be known. So let my little light shine in this darkened world of sin. I know He wants us all to be saved. been listening to Canaan Bound Podcast, episode number 18. We'd like to thank the artist who contributed mu- musical segments to this podcast. In this podcast, we had music by Koine. Koine's music can be found at koinemusic.com. And also Chris Dreisbach, chrisdreisbach.com. This podcast was first shared in April of 2013. Once again, my name is Tom Barthel, I was glad to be serving as your host for this episode. To find more information, please visit CanaanBoundPodcast.com. Please visit Wells.net 
and find a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Drowns, a music, but it's own. Awake my soul and sing.